studying Titanic and becoming part of this vibrant Titanic community has brought so many creative, kind, wonderful, collaborative people into my life. I've spoken about it before. Today's episode is another shining example of that. Nelson Aspen has been on the podcast before. He came on last season to debut his own Titanic podcast with his co-host Alexandra Boyd. Their podcast, Titanic Talk, has brought so many fun and informative conversations into our Titaniac lives, and I so enjoyed that conversation with them, and we hit it off. And then I got to meet Nelson in person a few months later this summer in New York City, and it was like something out of a movie. We had never met in person before, but we just picked up like two old friends, and we had the best time and got to know one another even better. I'm so lucky to call him a friend. He's an award-winning journalist, a prolific writer, and I wanted you guys to get a chance to get to know him a little bit better. His new book, Dancing Between the Raindrops, is a novel, and to be quite frank, it has absolutely nothing to do with Titanic, but his life does. The conversation we had is very relevant if you are a creative, an artist, a writer, if you are just someone who understands what it is to follow your dreams and obsess about things and never rest until you throw all the spaghetti on the wall, as I like to say. And the book itself is a love letter to New York. It's semi-autobiographical. It's about his life as a young adult uh, in the city, learning to navigate it in the 1980s. He loves New York. I sat with him on a New York night and we had a beautiful dinner and I can tell you he's the real deal. So I hope you enjoy this very candid conversation. It's a little bit of a break from straight Titanic, although we do talk quite a bit about how Titanic has inspired his life for many, many years. And he's got a very interesting tie to Titanic. So listen to find that out. And in the meantime, I hope you're well. The holiday season here in the U.S. is kicking off and we're all, or I hope we're all feeling the warm and fuzzies from that. Uh, But it is a very difficult time in the world. I hope that you and yours are safe and happy and healthy. And I wish I could just give every single person a big hug. Uh, This episode is kind of like a warm hug. It's joyful. It's hopefully just a nice little pocket in your day where you can hear someone talk about something that they love and about writing and the writing process. So I hope it does bring you a little bit of joy today. There's more coming before the end of the year on Unsinkable, so stay tuned. I'm LA Beatles, and this is Unsinkable, the Titanic podcast, of course. Thank you for being here. This is a love letter to New York with Nelson Aspen. Nelson, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Uh, Listeners should know that between the last time you were here 
And now we've actually gotten to meet in person and we put back a bottle of Chardonnay. So that's... Uh, <laughs> was love... it just one? Oh yeah, it was just one. <laughs> oh yeah, def- definitely just one. Um, but you were kind <laughs> enough to uh, show me around a little pocket of your New York and and we talked a lot of Titanic. We talked about the Strausses, which uh, meeting you at the Strauss Park turned into an episode that I did on them. So it's just lovely to call you a friend for myself and of the podcast now. So welcome back to Unsinkable. Thank you. Thank you. And you're in a new venue now. You've got uh, you've got a new you're in a, in, in a new space. So congratulations on the new space. And uh, I love you. that we got to meet at Strauss Park. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I'm so obsessed with New York City and hence my new book and everything. But it's you know, I lived here, I moved here when I was a teenager. I moved here in 1980 and I lived here for 10 years. And then I was summoned to Los Angeles to uh, work on my television career. And I stayed in LA for 22 years. Uh, and I jokingly say, only half jokingly say, 22 years in LA, you get less for murder. So I was able to come back to New York in 2012, uh, not as a teenager, but as a 50 year old man. And you know, it, it's it's better than ever. And even though we had to go through COVID and, and everything that went along with that, uh, it's just, I'm so happy to be in New York. And it, and it was so special to meet you here um, at, at Strauss Park, which was my suggestion. Let's run, David. I mean, there was something romantic about it, um, it just, even though we're both uh, very much taken. Uh, but just to be able to rendezvous <laughs> no, at a special Titanic place. It's so true. I thought about that scene um, in a in a platonic way, of course. But I thought about it the scene from Sleepless in Seattle or an affair to remember. That's what I said to you. I oh, said, "Oh, I was going to say affair to remember." Yeah, yeah. I said, yeah. <laughs> "I said, don't text me that day. We just have to have the plan, and we both arrive." <laughs> It's a text if you're going to be late, but um, it, I really, I got out of the car. I, I felt so fancy. I hadn't been in New York in years and I took a black car from our hotel to meet you and it dropped me at the corner and there <laughs> you are just sitting right there. Um, so your new book, I'm which compulsively I, early. I was, always, I was scouting everything oh, around. <laughs> I was, I was, I was only two minutes early to our meeting, which means I was late in my mind. So I think we're similar in that way. I, <laughs> on time for me is 10 minutes early. Um, but so your new book and and at the end of the podcast we'll talk about you know where people can find it everything but I want to use it as a segue because you are a titaniac you're a new yorker you're a journalist a writer you've written many books already so people should you know check out your repertoire but tell me about the book and how new york kind of inspired it. And then of course, like we, we spoke about, I'd like to talk a little, we can find some Titanic New York connections to kind of dig into, but I think people who listen to the podcast know you now, and there's a lot of cross pollination between your pot, your Titanic podcast and mine. And so, yeah, just tell people where this book came from, what the inspiration was and give us a sense of how, how you put it together. Well, it's so funny because, um, the, the loves of my life always seem to find a way into my writing. And my very first book was uh, Let's Dish Up a Dinner Party. And I believe I had a recipe in there for Titanic turkey meatloaf. I mean, I just needed to work Titanic in there somewhere. Then there was my book, Hollywood Insider Exposed. And I had a story, a chapter called My Past Life Revisited, where I talked mm-hmm. about my uh, my experience with Titanic uh, victim, uh, Milton 
Clyde oh, Long yeah. Jr., who I have this, whether or not you believe in reincarnation, but I do have some sort of connection with Milton Long. And I wrote about that in, in one of the books. And I have to say the new book, which is called Dancing Between the Raindrops, uh, there's nothing about Titanic in it whatsoever. And I'm sorry to say that, but uh, I, it, it just it didn't come in there this time around. We, gotta, we, but, have, to, um, we have to take a break sometime. I, I, my husband said, my husband said to me the other day, he's like, you know, I'm sort of sensing that heading into the holidays, your brain's going on a little bit of a Titanic break, which is going to have a lot of episodes <laughs> in the can. But, um, yeah, I said, you know, it kind of is, which I think mentally I need sometimes. And then I talked about you. I said, so it's kind of perfect. I've got like one episode I've got upcoming is talking to Nelson. I said, I think we're going to not, we're talking about some non-Titanic stuff, which is nice to do sometimes too. So it's perfect. Yeah. Well, you know that, but when we, when Alexandra and I do Titanic talk, we we are certainly most fascinated about the extracurricular activities of our fellow Titaniacs because mm-hmm. we're, we're all so diverse, and yet we are we are joined by this common this common love. Uh, mm-hmm. Some for some it's an obsession, for some it's a passion, for some it's just a, a recreation. But whatever it is, it unites us and and makes this wonderful uh, family of friends. Uh, that it, it was so evidenced by the fact that we got to meet in person and now are in each other's clutches. And and when you look at all of our podcasts, we all, we sort of see the recurring things. It's like, you know, it's <laughs> like when Erica Kane left all my children and visited One Life to Live. You know, you have a nice little crossover like it that. Is, it but is it, true. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's so true. I, I think... And, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Because you were still talking about the book. No, I'm I was terrible say, at interrupting. So. It's, oh, we'll just interrupt each other. Um, but I, the the motivation for the book was, uh, I, I'm just so in love with my life in New York City. And I am so amazed that at the age of 60 now, my best friends are the same best friends I had from my teens and early 20s when I first came to New York City. And it took this whole, you know, middle of my life pause in, in Hollywood which I needed to do for my career, but uh, to come back and sort of pick up again and have this amazing uh, renaissance, New York City renaissance. And the New York, obviously the New York of today is very different from the New York of the 80s, but I wanted to capture that time in the 80s. And I've had some interest. You you never know where these opportunities are going to come, but I've had people express to me the desire to make a television series out of my life in the 80s kind of a sex in the city set in the 80s and mm-hmm. you had the you had the the punk rock the padded shoulders the big hair yes i had a mullet and that amazing soundtrack of music i had also had uh, run-ins with notable personalities like Donald Trump and Princess Diana. Princess Diana gave me essentially my career and uh, Peter Allen and all these other characters that I've put into the book. And I, I rather than do a strict autobiography, I have to confess, the stories are too outrageous and nobody would believe them, first of all. Second of all, I, you know, my memory's a little fuzzy. I, you know, and it's not that I have, you know, it's not that I'm mentally incapacitated. It's just that I, it was a long time ago. And, and so I figured if I fictionalize it, it's mm-hmm. better for a potential television series anyway. And it's, it's written in chapters that read like episodes of a series. Mm-hmm. And I've combined people from my life. 
I've I've sort of rearranged some stories. Uh, it, it it starts in 1980, and you know I tell and but, but basically it's 99% true the story of John Lennon's assassination and what I was doing that night mm-hmm. and how I ended up on a on a helicopter flying around the Statue of Liberty's head while John Lennon was dying in the hospital. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy the experiences I've had. And I've tried to capture it in an entertaining, sometimes steamy way, because Jackie Collins was one of my favorite uh, celebrity interviews. I met her many times. And the first time I met her before I ever interviewed her when I was a reporter, I was working in a Borders bookstore. And, you know, I shelving books and selling books. And I loved it, you know, because if you have to do a survival job, it should be at least something you love. And I love being around the books. Absolutely. Never forget it. L.A., this this black stretch limo pulled up in the borders parking lot. I'm looking outside. What the? And it's Jackie frickin' Collins getting out of the limousine. She strides into borders. She goes over to the fiction section, A, B, C for Collins. And she's dip, 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 dip. Taking a few notes, she goes over to the manager's desk and she told the manager which novels were low on or out of. She had that hands-on approach to business. She wasn't just a, a very uh, exciting personality and a character and a, and a you know a talented writer, but she was a great businesswoman. Then when I started interviewing her and becoming friendly with her, I, I reminded her of that and how impressed I was. And she's like, darling, if I have to sell it out of the trunk of my car, I'll do it. Uh, so it, there's a, a marvelous lesson I learned about shameless self-promotion. If you're oh, not, yeah. not going to, if you're not going to put it out there, who is? No, no, and, and you have to, you have to root like, for yourself and you have to sell yourself. I mean, it sounds crazy to say, but it's true. I think that's one of the great lessons you learn as you, I mean, I'm at a point in my life where it's taken a long time to learn these things, but I mean, that's what I did with the podcast. You have to, you just, no one's going to wait around and then do something for you. If you, you're going to do it, you have to just throw it out into the world. Not only that, I'll tell you this. Um, I talk about it in the book about my my first job in show business. I was on a soap opera and I tell the adventures of my time in daytime television uh, back in the 80s in New York and what that was like, because it was a very different world from the world of soap opera today. Uh, and what I didn't put in the book that I'll tell you on, on this sort of related subject matter was uh, back in those days, you got a paycheck. You actually got a check and you had to go and get it. It didn't get mailed to you. It didn't get given to you in the production office. You had to go and retrieve your check. So mm-hmm. I was on a soap opera. I was an actor. Oh my gosh, this is this is it. Our fame and fortune are mine. And I'm going to get my first paycheck. And I had to go over to the ad agency to pick up my check. And it was from this, I think the ad agency was called DDBNA, whatever that stands for. And I tear <laughs> open my check and on the, the company logo for the ad agency, the, the motto, the motto of the company was printed on the check. And that motto is, it's not creative unless it sells. And I was so offended at the time because I was like, oh, my artistic sensibility is mortified. What do you mean? I'm an artist. But, you know, it's the truth. And that's what soap operas are. They're there. They were designed to sell soap. They're not there to tell you a dramatic story. They're there to sell the, the dishwashing detergent at the commercials. Yeah. But if it, it's like if a tree falls in the forest and no one can hear it, did it make a sound? It's not creative unless it sells. You have to people have to see it and hear it and want it. Uh, no matter how artistic you think it is, people have to see it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, my, one of my big, I don't really have a motto to describe it, but one of my big pet peeves in life. And if some people that know are close to me know this, I cannot handle when people try to stamp out others joy for liking things that are popular because I think, I mean, and it happens a lot. You know, I saw this a lot when I, I think it sort of peaks when people are in their teens and twenties, but some people sort of stay in that spot where something has to be obscure or, you know, cool in this vague, undefinable way to be considered like, a you know, a, um, an acceptable thing to to shout from the rooftops. Um, something has to be dark and obscure. And I just, the older I get, the more I realize it's exactly the opposite. You know, nobody should have to call anything a guilty pleasure. You love what you love. You can shout it. You can shout whatever you want from the rooftops. And people that go out of their way to to tamp down that joy um, for people that like popular things, it drives me crazy. Like something is popular because it obviously strikes a nerve with so many people and makes them feel seen. Yeah. And, and you don't have to get it. Like I don't get the Kardashians, a, but I applaud I don't their either, right but it, to succeed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I like, I don't, yeah, that's not, I, I've never followed them. I know a lot of people do. I mean, Titanic falls in this, you know, loving the movie. The I mean, this is a perfect tie into Ship of Dreams and your podcast and Alexandra's movie. Um, that movie makes people feel seen because it's about, an, it's about obsession really in one way. It's obviously the diaries of the people that worked on it. But I think as a piece of art, the film is very much meant to give, to, to be relatable to people like me people like you guys have interacted on your podcast, um, that we, you know, we have this obsessive thing with Titanic and sometimes we feel alone with it, but not anymore because of Instagram, because of movies like that. It's, I think we all can be sort of like out, (laughs) you know, it goes back to like, we need the Titanic pride flag. And this, I have one. Actually, I have one. And I did. Oh, that's Somebody right. Gave Someone me, um, made one. one. Oh my one of god! Our, our Titaniacs, Megan, gave me uh, gave me a Titanic pride flag, which I've, is a I've testament got it in the to the. For, I don't know. I need a. I need a flagpole. Don't put it in the closet. That's not where that belongs. That's the exact wrong place to put it. <laughs> how ironic! How, how ironic! But. Uh, the the uh, the thing you say it, you talk about uh, popular you know, the people scoffing at, at popular notions you know uh, the awards the the Hollywood Awards every year whether that's the Critics Choice or the Golden Globes or the Oscars or whatever they are uh, a lot of times people scoff and you never see nominations for like uh, Top Gun or the the blockbusters popular the stuff. popular yeah. films Titanic was an exception. Because it was nominated mm. for a lot of, of, of Oscars and won quite a few. But um, usually the blockbusters, the superhero movies or whatever, don't get the action films. They don't get they don't get the um, the recognition Accolades. of yeah. the artistic community. That's changing. No, it is. I think so. Yeah. Right. And now but now they're doing I, I think they, they've got a new category for, you know, best popular film so yeah. they take box office yeah into, winners yeah. and they give them a special award so and i, I, I want to point out that the, what i'm sipping here is um it is a mocktail uh but it prominently featured in the book about the 80s the, the my drink of choice back in the 80s was my best friend's aunt jenny owned a bar in brooklyn she was a hopeless alcoholic and died at a young age uh, mm. because of that. However, she mixed a mean cocktail and she used to make us screwdrivers, which if you don't know, are vodka and orange juice. But she'd say, boys, they're no good unless you can see through them. 
because it was just vodka with a little splash of OJ. So uh, I'm having a mocktail version of Aunt Jenny's screwdriver uh, in celebration of the book. Well, cheers. I've got iced coffee. Cheers. Um, well, I've got a drink somewhere or it won't count. It's funny. <laughs> I this this ties in with the cope with the podcast too. So Paul uh, Paul Carganella and I did a podcast together, and I know he was just on your podcast as well. And yep. he and I were recording. I think it was around this time. It was around noon or one. And I had this. I have this Titanic tumbler that's technically one of those wine tumblers that keeps it chilled. But I love it so much. The shape of it is great, and it keeps water really cold. And so I keep it at my desk uh, sometimes. And and at one point in the interview, I realized not necessarily that he was wondering, but he was sort of eyeing me taking sips out of this. So I stopped the interview to tell him, just so you know, this is water. This is not wine at 1 p.m. But anyway, we had a nice laugh about that. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, in terms of, um, of the Titanic community, you know, you mentioned like the repeats that we're seeing on all of our podcasts. It has created this world where I feel like the podcasts are representative of kind of what's going on in any given moment in the Titanic community. And it's really growing like Veronica Hinky, I know you guys have an episode coming up with her. She just wrote the Titanic, the movie cookbook. She just came on my show. She's been on Titanic talk line as well. So it really, this whole, like, it's just, I think this crescendo is happening of all of us in terms of the book and creatively and your writing process. Can you walk us a, a little through that? I think it's so relevant to a lot of people that listen to this podcast. They are creatives. They are writers. I'm a writer. I'm working on a book right now. So I think even though we're not directly talking about Titanic, I think listeners to this show are artists and creatives who love conversations about things like yeah, this. Yeah, we have so, a lot of we have a lot of writers in the Titanic community. Absolutely. That's for sure. Um, yeah. And and to and to your point, now you know, now that we're all connected that way, I love it when I when I look on on Instagram and I'm seeing I don't know something, some whatever I'm looking at, but I'll see liked by and I'm like, oh, that's one of my Titanic friends also mm-hmm. was yeah, looking me too. at the same all thing. The time. So that's yep. that's really special. As for writing, um that old cliche of a writer must write uh, is true. And uh, I, you know, I wanted to sell Dancing Between the Raindrops as a TV series, but everybody and his brother has a TV series or a screenplay. Mm -hmm. And there is something more highbrow about having a book. And if they want to turn it into a series from the book, I think that's better, you know, I think that's better than just throwing another script at somebody because you know if you're if you're going to turn it into a, a series you're going to want to interpret it your way and the book you can can be a a bible a guide a, a, a foundation for dramatization. Yeah, and then down your the version your version is there and recorded. And if someone then interprets it by doing a show or a movie or something, that's their interpretation of it. Yeah. I just want to be involved in casting who is going to play me. But, now uh, that's you know, what, we'll now I know we need to talk about writing, but now <laughs> I'm thinking like, who would it be? Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Keep going. <laughs> somebody too young, somebody who's so young that I don't even know who they are. You know, that we it would just be, would be some, yeah, I'm a teenager. So, yeah. uh, the, but the writing process for me, everything I've written prior to Dancing Between the Raindrops has been uh, nonfiction. It's been, you know, how-to books for entertaining, cookbooks. Uh, my last book, was Your Home is Your Castle. And that debuted at number one on Amazon's home renovation and remodel charts because it was basically redesigning your home to accommodate the pandemic and mm-hmm. how to, you know, in, in a modern world, how to do that. So that was an unexpected thing. And then, but to do this, 
you know, I've got, I had to go through 10 years of anecdotal memories. And I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a bad sleeper under the best of circumstances. If I have a deadline, forget it. I just mm-hmm. don't really ever sleep. And I'm a morning person anyway. So I would like sort of sleep with one eye open and make little notes as they would come to me in the middle of the night. And then I'd be in my office before dawn. You know, I get more done before noon than any, any other time of the day. And then I would just knock it out. And I had, when I was signed the contract to do the book, uh, they had wanted me to take this. They, they were going to give me eight months to write it. And I was nervous because I know how I am about deadlines. And I was like, give me 10. So I knew, I thought, oh, I'm negotiating for 10 months. I wrote it in five. I wrote it in I'm five because I, <laughs> I I was tired. I was mm-hmm. I was exhausted. I had to get it finished. I had to get it finished. And now they want a trilogy. Are you wait, you're <laughs> so serious? I don't know. I, you're serious? Yeah, I may never I may never sleep again because this book is New York from 1980 to 1990 and everything wonderful about those 10 years of my life in New York City. Oh and my then, gosh. You know, then there was the the 22 years in Hollywood when I, you know, I had an amazing career interviewing every celebrity under the sun and living the LA lifestyle, never found the the right relationship, although it wasn't for lack of trying. And then the third book would be 2012. I come back to New York completely alone, but not lonely. Like I'm ready to just be on my, I'm happy on my own. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't you know, I was only here a few months. I met the love of my life. We now have an amazing dream home. We are living happily ever after. So that, to me, that is the perfect trilogy. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if it eventuates, if, if I, if I've got the, the stamina to it's do It's a that. lot of work. Writing is, I, I, Nelson knows this. I think my listeners kind of know this because I've alluded to it on Instagram, but I am, I, have officially started the writing process on my Titanic book. And (laughs) it's, uh, but I'm sort of entering the phase you're talking about, which is I, I sleep pretty well. I'm a pretty good sleeper in this phase of my life, but I've noticed I'm like you, like in grad (laughs) in grad school, I never slept when I was working on my dissertation or, or, you know, research projects. Um, I feel that coming. It's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, 11 o'clock at night lately, I'm ideas are popping in and I'm writing. No, I've got the note book that's like right by the bed kind of thing. Um, so I'm sort of feeling that process coming on and I'm I'm excited. I, I would love to get a little Titanic in, and this is completely unplanned. Um, listeners, Nelson and I talked before we hit record about maybe some Titanic stuff to talk about. But now that you mentioned it, we have to talk about Milton Long because you you mm. and I have skirted around talking about him a little bit, right? But do you mind talking about your experience and sort of thoughts on him? Because I feel no, like every, when it's... you were on the podcast before we ran out of time and we didn't really get to talk about it, but I, I am a huge believer in past life regression therapy. I've done it myself. I'm a huge believer in past lives. My listeners know this. I've done episodes around it. So yeah, I mean, if you don't mind, whatever you'd like to share, I would love to no. talk about that. As a kid growing up on a farm in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, we had a big old farmhouse and I was the youngest of five kids. And one of the things we always did was slide down the banister. And I also, one of the things we did was play in the pond and play in the pool. And I was obsessed with water and ships and all that kind of stuff. But one of the recurring dreams I had as a kid was sliding down the banister. But instead of getting, you know, off at the bottom, I just kept going in 
to the black void. And it was just a very uh, persistent image in my head. It was a frequent, it was a frequent enough dream that it was noteworthy because I had it so often. And then when I was eight years old, I saw the Poseidon adventure, which was all about a ship based on the Queen Mary that was capsized by a tidal wave. And I fell in love with one of the stars of the movie. And she and I actually became lifelong friends until she passed away, Carol and Lee. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a giant Poseidon tattoo on my leg. And so, yeah, anything like the Andrea Doria, the Lusitania, the Poseidon in fiction, uh, any movies about ocean liners, blah, blah, blah. And of course, Titanic. I mean, that's the granddaddy of them all. And, mm-hmm. at, and in the 60s and 70s, I was watching you know, A Night to Remember. There, was, there really wasn't all that much out there about it. Um, but I knew I, I knew I had some connection, obsession with the Titanic. Then I had already moved to New York, so I was. this would have been in the early 80s, and I was down at the South Street Seaport in a bookstore, and there was a book, oh my gosh, now I, the name of the author just came to me. I, I haven't been able to remember this author's name in years. It Who just is it? came to me. Google it. Wynn, W-Y-N. Oh, Wynn Craig Wynn Wed. Craig, Craig Wade. Wade. Yes. Yeah. I, and his book was new. I think I think it was new at the time. Oh yeah, he was very so very it. prolific on Titanic in in like the eighties and early nineties, I believe. Yeah. Well, all right, it's all it's all coming back to me. So <laughs> I, I get the book, and there's a there's a section in there about Jack Thayer, first class passenger Jack Thayer, and his friend, uh, unnamed, who decided to make a swim for it. Jack jumped. Uh, but his friend straddled the railing and Jack was in the water and he saw his friend coming down like he was sliding down a banister mm-hmm. and pulled into the black waters. So I'm like, well, that rings a bell. Uh, uh, maybe I was this guy, unnamed guy. And it was a few years later before I found another book that named him. Meanwhile, my name is Nelson. I can see where you might say Norman if you didn't hear it right. But one of the many names I have been mistakenly called in my life is Milton. Milton. Mm-hmm. I've got a food delivery for Milton. Uh, how do you do, Milton? Like, I mean, it's it's weird. Nelson, it's almost like Milton, you are you're radi- It's almost like something in you is radiating this past identity, perhaps almost. Yeah. Yeah. And who who names their kid in 1963 Milton? Um, well, or no, I guess you could make the same case for Nelson. Like, who names a kid Nelson? Anyway, um, then I, I finally find a book that it's Milton Clyde Long Jr. Because I thought, mm-hmm. well, you know, maybe, you know, who who am I? Am I Jack Thayer? Am I the friend? So I, you know, I entertain this fantasy of being Milton. 1980, what was it? 88, 89, when Dr. Ballard found the wreck? 86? Um, it was 86 or 87, I think. I sh- I'm okay. going to get in trouble for not... I think 86. Yeah, I think it's 86. You know, I've been swimming in the 80s for the last six months of my life. I, you know, That's all one big decade blob. blob yeah. But whatever year it was, <laughs> he was the most famous man in the world because he had found the Titanic mm-hmm. and he was going to launch an expedition to dive to the Titanic. And I was bananas. I had to contact him. He was on the cover of every magazine, every newspaper. Who did I think I was that I could get in touch with this famous explorer? So I got out the phone book. Do you remember phone book or any, anybody oh, out there old enough I to do. remember the phone I book? Do. I'm that, I'm the, tra- <laughs> I'm the trans, my husband and I talk about this all the time because we were born in 84. We are that transitional generation okay, where you were the we, last. 
We remember yeah. everything analog. We had we had all of that stuff until we were teenage teenagers is when like <laughs> cell phones really, you know. So we feel lucky because I think having that, you know, tangible those tangible memories, we feel lucky we still And they're that. handy to sit on. There you go. They're I, handy to sit on if you're if you're short. <laughs> So yeah, the, it's true. Um, one of my first TV jobs, the anchor man looked at me and said, "Would you like to sit on a phone book?" And I'm like, "How dare you? How dare you? I don't have a Napoleonic <laughs> complex." And then I looked. He he was sitting on a phone book. He was trying to do there me a favor. <laughs> anyway, so I used the phone book. I I basically I tracked Dr. Ballard down through the United States Navy. A few phone calls later, it was a push button phone. At least I had a push button phone. I was on the phone to the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. And I said to the receptionist, the operator, that I said, I would like to speak to Dr. Robert Ballard, please. Oh, who's calling? I said, Nelson Aspen. Like, who? Why would he take my call? She puts me on hold. I don't know. Less than a minute later, he answers the phone and goes, Hello, Milton. You are freaking kidding me. Hello, Milton. And uh, there's a wonderful Yiddish word called plots. I plotsed. Um, you look up plots if you don't know what it means. Uh, so he couldn't have been nicer. He gave me a couple minutes of his time and you know, said what his plans were, yada, yada, yada. And uh, less than a week later, in my mailbox came an application from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute uh, that he had sent me in case I wanted to, you know, uh, go down that course yeah, yeah. in life, which I, you know, and that was, you know, by then I was like, no, let's not be ridiculous here. Let's not get carried away. I have a very successful career as an aerobics instructor. I can't <laughs> go into oceanography. <laughs> it reminds me, I think you and I are very similar. I, my first year in grad school, I was in my very first uh, colloquia where we would have to do like a, an original uh, research project as part of the, of the class. And I had chosen, I, I studied labor history in, in grad school, and I had chosen this topic that involved uh, Ralph Nader and some of his team members and projects he had worked on. And, you know, everyone's presenting their research and they've had, a, we've all had a couple of weeks to try to do research, get in touch with everybody. And so the, the professor comes to me and I surprised him because he said, oh, what'd you come up with? And I talked about dead end after dead end. And, and he thought I was giving a sob story about having no info. I said, so, you know what? I just called everybody and I just found every living person that had been on that team and called them and talked to a couple of them. And one of them, James Fallows, you know, award-winning journalist. Um, I think he wrote for the New Yorker for a long time. But anyway, I I'm like that too. It's like I don't I don't see a wall in front of me. If there's a if there's some sort of wall, it's paper breakthrough. There's got to be something on the other end of it. But all those uh, Titanic's uh, uh, connections, as as you as you know from the Ship of Dreams documentary, uh, in 1989 here in New York City, I was out for dinner with friends, and I was really engaged with the charismatic goofy, redheaded, sexy, English waitress. Her name was Alexandra. And my friend, we finished dinner. And I, I'm a cartoonist. And back in those days, every table in New York City had a, a, a paper tablecloth. Oh, with yeah, a, yeah. A jar of that mm -hmm. was the thing. And so I would always caric do caricatures of our dinners. And, you know, so I had done a caricature of Alexandra and me and my friends. And, you know, I left that with the tip kind of thing. And I did, we hit it off so well. I said, oh, I'm going to hang out at the bar until you get off work and we'll share a cab. Like, who? And again, I just have brass 
balls. Uh, so she and I uh, became, that's how we became friends. And she, mm -hmm. she was living in New York City, trying to be an actress. And we started having Sunday dinners together, became friends. She moved away. I ended up in Los Angeles. We ended up in LA together. I bought my first house, but I had been renting a house. And she and her boyfriend moved into my house. That They started renting it. So we were, you know, we just, we just kept connected the whole time. Mm -hmm. And she had an audition for Titanic, James Cameron's Titanic. And she didn't know anything about Titanic historically, but she knew that I did. So I'm like, let me help you write your monologue. We're going to make you the Countess of Roth. Oh, that's and right. Because that's, a, that's, a the, that's the role that she originally auditioned for, right? The Countess of Roth. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't, I don't know that they had certain roles, but they, it was you know, just the, like the submit your audition, was pick, yeah, yeah. A, pick a pick person and, and go for it. So I, I was like, oh my God, well, you've got to be the countess. Um, and in a, in a way she really was. I mean, she played just as much of a countess as Rochelle oh, Rose yeah. played the countess. I mean, every, oh, yeah. everybody on first class was a countess. So uh, then she got the film and there was all of that. And when I was working in that Borders bookstore another time, the, uh, the film Ghosts of the Abyss came out. James Cameron's follow-up to Titanic oh, yeah. was more of a, more of a forensic look at the, at the wreck. And he teamed up with Ken, help me with the last names, Marsh Marshall. Mar Ken Marshall. You got it. And yeah. Don, Don Lynch. starts with an L? Lynch. Lynch. Okay. Yeah. Yep. There we go. See what I mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> You've got it. I've got For someone that, everything. I mean, I, you... I keep taking my Nariva. <laughs> so, no, you're good. The Ghosts you... of the Abyss, the, the Ghosts of the Abyss uh, came out in, in movie theaters. And so mm -hmm. Alexandra and I went, and they didn't use any footage from Titanic film, the film, in Ghosts of the Abyss, because then they would have had to pay the actors royalties, except there was one shot of Alexandra when she looks into the camera as if it's Leonardo DiCaprio cocking her eyebrow. And so I'm like, get on the phone to SAG. They owe you money. They owe you money. They used your image in that film. So uh, that was funny. And then I'm at Borders Bookstore and James, Don, and Ken were coming in to do a book event on Ghosts of the Abyss, the book. And I said, well, you do know I have to be the MC of this event. Like I have to be, I have to lead this book signing. Yeah. And I did. And the, all three of them came in and we like, you know, bookstores are not notoriously glamorous. We're hanging out in the little employee closet uh, <laughs> with, with them. And I'm just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, Milton, you're Milton. And like they signed my copy mm -hmm. of Ghost of the Abyss and all of that stuff. And uh, it, it was lovely. So I have to say all my Titanic um, connections uh, with those gentlemen have been positive ones. I've I've met I've, th those Titanic folks that I've met were terrific, and now we'll just forget it. Our our Titanic community of fans is is it's, second to none. It's out of this world. I'm really I people ask me all the time, you know, if if they think I could ever get James Cameron to come on, and I I just don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to involve him in this world that we're creating on some level. I mean, who knows? Maybe one day, but it sounds to me like. 
every every Titanic connection that you've had throughout your life. Oh, excuse me. Sorry, I thought I turned that off. Um, every connection that you've had to Titanic throughout your life has sort of, it's like how we opened the interview, has really kind of commingled, married to one another. And you've got this well that you pull from as a Titanic person. And then it's inextricably linked to your identity as a New Yorker. I think the I, I think my favorite thing out of you and Alexandra's podcast is your friendship and the story behind staying friends for this long and feeling so connected over this thing that you both love. And to me- And that was before the internet. We stayed connected anyway, you know, when it involved exactly. like the phone and the stamps. Phone. You had to call <laughs> people. Um, I, you know, I saw an Instagram the other day, someone said, you know, kids now will never understand someone calling your house to try to find you. But it is true. You know, and I remember that. I remember you have to call someone's house to try. You have to talk to someone's parents. You're like 10 years old. You're trying I, to get I, in touch with I, I someone. I talking on the phone. I hate it too. I despise the phone. Please text me, text me. But the um, somebody, I had dinner with a young friend of mine last night. And when I say young, I guess she's maybe 30-ish. And uh, she gave me, she read me the riot act because I talked about um, writing checks. Oh, I could just uh, check. Like, yeah, you yeah. write checks. You write checks. You know, how, what are you doing, grandma? <laughs> what do you mean you're writing checks? And I'm like, you know, my father, you, you know, in the old days, they sent your checks back. So once they were cashed and my father, I remember he had boxes stacked mm-hmm. to the ceiling filled with his canceled checks. He never threw one of them away. Uh, when we passed, when he passed away, we had 90 years of checks to shred. Um, but yeah, I, sue me. I like to write a check. I still like. I, do. I still like. And, I, and, and I, I send cards and letters too. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I do as well. And and I was raised. My dad was was a little older when he had me, so I was raised by someone who was born in 1942. And uh, I mean, I love all of the sort of analog things he passed down to me. And I still write checks. I still deal in cash sometimes. I still like. I'm I'm great at technology. I'm great at everything modern. But I have enough of the set of the skills and my head with all of the analog stuff that I appreciate it. I have a Mr. Coffee. Don't tell anyone. I still prefer my brewed coffee out of a coffee maker. I don't want an espresso. I don't want to go to Starbucks. I want to brew my my own coffee. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I, I think that you and I are both old soul. I, I don't know. I, it's so funny. You and I, per, we've <laughs> got to find time to talk about some of this past life stuff, just with this a personal conversation too, because I'm really into it. But I, I, I have, I'll share just one story before we wrap up here. I don't think I've told you this. Um, you were telling the Milton Long story and I did one of the past life sort of therapy regression sessions that I did. Um, I'm going to send you her info. She's amazing. Uh, but one of the sessions that I did, she said that she was picking up on uh, energies of a past life where I was adrift at sea and I was on a, some sort of object floating. And I, you know, that's... Were you one of those Chinese survivors of the Titanic? <laughs> I don't know. It's possible. I mean, it. I but I, and I couldn't... You know, in terms of anything I've ever had dreams about or obsession about it, you know, the Titanic is really the only one that involves water in any way. So that just really struck me. And I'm very Googleable in terms of Titanic. So I imagine if she was going to do that and it was fake in any way, she would have pulled out some bigger guns than that. But, um, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it, I really, everything that I have been passionate about 
in, as in my career as a historian, and now the last years as I've been interested in the past life regression, it all pops up. And I won't bore anybody with all of the details, but I feel very connected to the story you told because everything she's mentioned in terms of my, my past lives are things I've studied as a historian. It's just wild. I think just... we've talked about this before, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but there was a book that I read as a very young man that always stayed with me because it's called it was called you were born again to be together by hugh sutcliffe and the the theory being that the people you love the people you hate the people you mm -hmm. fight with the people you have sex with i mean it doesn't matter you mm -hmm. you if you have a connection with another person it's, it's because you had a previous connection yes. and and, and it's, the... it's a really fascinating perspective I think I I think I tried to find a copy after we spoke and I couldn't find a copy but there's a a book called Many Lives Many Masters. I forget the author. It's sort of the quintessential past life book from the maybe late 80s early 90s but similar sort of hypothesis and and uh anyway, I encourage listeners, you know, if you're interested in it at all, you can shoot me a message and I can recommend books, but um I just I love where these episodes take me. I didn't think today we'd be talking about the past life stuff, but once you mention that, it just I don't know, had to finally dig into it. Um, so tell people where they can get the book and are there, are you going well, to be easiest doing... on Amazon? Just jump easiest. on Amazon. Okay. I, I, I think it's 15, 1599 on Amazon. So it's a bargain. Uh, and, uh, you know, perfect. If you know anybody that uh, enjoyed the eighties, it's also a great get, get them a copy because it's about, it's a coming of age story about four friends. Uh, and mm -hmm. you know, there, it's not a secret. It's not a spoiler that these four friends stay friends forever. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those marvelous, uh, times where, you know, when you're all young and the world is ahead of you. And New York in the 80s uh, was particularly exciting. Of course, uh, you had this, this all this wild, madcap, adventuresome, flaming youth was occurring under the specter of AIDS. I mean, that was, you know, that was going on. Yeah. Yeah. But you know the the world is on fire now uh it's 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 a terrible time for the for the planet right now um i mean it's on fire literally, literally. and figuratively literally, uh, in yeah. so many ways however your kids are going to remember this these as the good old days just mm -hmm. as i didn't have any clue that vietnam was going on when i was when in kindergarten yeah. and first grade um the times times are always going to be challenging and so i wanted i wanted my book to be joyful and outrageous and fun so yes of course aids is a big part of the 80s new york city experience but so was a lot of fun stuff so mm -hmm. uh, i th i think i think everybody will enjoy it and i you know i couldn't name all the people, Prince, as I told you, Princess Diana's in there, Donald Trump, Peter Allen, Regis Phil, but like a lot of a lot of famous New Yorkers are in there. But there is a lot of famous New Yorkers in there that I had to change their change names. The names. Well, a that lot of TV, film, Broadway stars. I had to change the names, but I didn't change them so much that if you're very clever, you could probably figure them out. I can't tell you who they are, but it, it's a fun game to read and try and figure it out. That's it. It's tantalizing. And then and, and I saw one of the reviews that some an early review you'd posted a snippet on Instagram. Is it, it's like fun and a little racy in a good way, right? Like there's a little, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it kind of sounds like it's, it's a little, 
It's adults. There's a, it's, well, it's Jackie Collins. And I, I had to tell the, you know, my parents are gone now. So I felt like, okay, well now I I don't have to worry about them being embarrassed. I can go ahead and tell the story as I remember it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that includes blue language and, uh, you know, some, some racy moments, racy, raunchy romp. I love it. The eighties. And, uh, I I had I was a guest on Paul's um, Cove podcast, oh, and he yeah. asked me to read a section. And I thought, well, what can I read that's a standalone that will make sense on its own? And as I was reading it, I I had never read aloud from my book before, and uh, very blue language. And then I thought, oh, you know, I never asked permission to like to be profane. And I hope, I hope, oh my God, I hope his kids aren't listening. I'm like, <laughs> I hope we understand that some podcasts have naughty language. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's funny. I, uh, th- with this podcast, I, the first 10 episodes or so that I did, I tried very specifically to keep it, you know, super G rated. <laughs> it was like, oh, you know, kids like Titanic. And, but honestly, I, I couldn't keep that up because I am, I am not a G rated person. Hey, it's no, the internet. No, yeah, I mean, but it's, it's the you know, internet, you know. It's what are you internet. protecting them from? Exactly, you know. And I, I think, and and I mean, this podcast, I hope anyway, stays very sophisticated generally. But I just think it's so amazing the full circle of having you here to talk about this because you're a Titanic person. We're friends now. We've got the whole Titanic podcast community going. There's a community of writers, like you mentioned, that is a subset of that. And I feel like there's all this cross pollination going on constantly especially on Instagram with uh, Titanic. And so I really think this is going to meet the ears of a lot of people that will be very intrigued and very interested to read it. And good Christmas gift. I hope so. Uh, for people. Yes. Well, just, it's a great anytime uh, gift. <laughs> anytime gift, but it's, holiday shopping you know, just, is afoot. It's just so. fun. It's just fun. It's, and, uh, uh, if you love New York and you love mm-hmm. sex and you love uh, partying and you love just youth, uh, you know, I had a, I've had an extraordinary life. I continue to have an extraordinary life. It's far from over, but, uh, my, my teens and twenties in New York in the eighties, it was, it was noteworthy. And I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing it. There's a, um, it's the perfect way to close out. There's a, a line in one of the new Taylor Swift vault tracks where the line is, um, it's, it's got like a champagne reference, clink, clink. And then, it, and then she says, being this young is an art. And here, and that, that lyric oh. it really reminds me of everything you just said. And I mean, I, I just told my husband, I'm turned 40 next year. I just had my birthday. I just turned 39. And so I'm heading into 40. And I said, you know, my goal is to turn 40 looking 30. And, but I really, I don't feel old at all. I don't think you're old at all, but it is true that like, there is a very specific energy to being very young, that it's, it, there is this magic to it. And it sounds like your well, book. You're, has- you're, you're fearless. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, for me anyway, I mean, I was fearless. I was dancing between the raindrops. I should say that's the origin of the title. My dad. Oh yeah. Tell people, tell people. Really my quickly. dad yeah. was. Yeah, my dad was a very macho orthopedic surgeon born in 1925. He was old when he had me. Uh, So, you know, like you, I grew up with older parents. So I had a a different sensibility. Uh, And he used to marvel at how I would run around New York City and get away with the things I got away with. 
And he would say, you're dancing between the raindrops. Mm -hmm. And I never forgot that. And I thought that is the perfect title for the book, because even though occasionally you get wet, but most of the time I've managed to dance between the raindrops. I love it. And such a testament to your father, who you said is now gone, but it's sort of in memory of him. I mean, I'm sure he's just looking down and laughing (laughs) and smiling at that. That's incredible. Um, Well, thank you so much for talking. I I know we kind of jumped around, but this has been delightful to just check in with you. What uh, really quickly, what um, I'll make sure the links to the book are in the show notes, but, um, and you have a few more episodes of season two of Titanic talk coming, right? uh, Yes. We're rolling them out uh, every two weeks now because we just, we have so we we have so much. We uh, it's you know, we've it's gotten almost, to the point, as I'm yeah. sure you understand. You get to a certain point where now, rather than looking for people who want to talk to us, people are coming mm-hmm. to us saying, "Can we yeah. talk to you?" Uh, so you know, there are only so many mm-hmm. hours in the day, and I'm trying yeah. to push this book out. And you know, I, you know you got, we all have other things it's to a do. A lot of work. Uh, yeah. So, it, but it's great, and we 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 love it. We love the people we talk to. Um, if you heard the episode with uh, Craig Ellis. Um, uh, you know that profanity is okay. Like yeah, that <laughs> one was. I did listen. Sometimes that one was fun. Bad words. <laughs> yeah, he was. He played Officer Lowe, right? Was it Lowe that he played in the movie? Um, the uh, the wireless operator. No wireless operator. He played Harold Bride. That's right. Yeah, um, two Harolds. I mixed up my Harolds. That's yeah, right. That's, Harold Bride. That's a really good episode. And I know you guys just <laughs> as we're recording, you just put out the one with Paul and and his lovely daughter Everly. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of great. I mean, you guys have had a great roster this season. Last season was fantastic too. So I'll make sure to link that again in the show notes as well. And I'll be thinking about another reason to have you on in the spring because this is great. <laughs> we'll just have. Thank you very much. I'll be every- I'll be looking out on Amazon for your review of Dancing Between the Raindrops. Oh, I, I absolutely. Love, I love getting the feedback. And of course, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. It's, I'm easy to find. Yes, Nelson I'll make Aspen, sure. And uh, let's let's all connect. Let's all keep connecting. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, if I can, you know, get this book done and get it out. I'm hoping like a New York event, some sort of book launch, or some sort of New York event. With an unsinkable book in sometime in the future, we'll, I don't, we'll hopefully I come should, together. I should mention, yeah, I, I'll mention on that very note, and I don't know when you your audience is necessarily listening to this, but throughout December of 2023 and January of 2024, uh, because of the, the 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 festive nature of the book, I'm going to be holding a series of happy hour book events around Manhattan. I'll oh, have that up on, okay. on all of my social media. So uh, two events a week all around Manhattan, different neighborhoods. So you That's can try huge. out different bars, okay. different nightclubs, different clubs, and we'll celebrate the book, have 80s music and drink Aunt Jenny's Screwdrivers. That's amazing. Okay. So that this is a big deal. So if you're listening to this in real time, We'll make sure that's linked and they have that info. And if any unsinkable listeners go and can, if you connect with Nelson, take a picture and and tag the podcast on Instagram so we can get, every, you know, just make sure everything is, we all know, and it's visible. Um, it's incredible. Well, thank you, Nelson. And we'll, we'll always be in touch. We'll talk soon, but this has been absolutely I'm wonderful. I'm flattered and grateful. Lots of love. 